Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll be reading verses 3 through 13. So I want to make it clear to you that no one says Jesus is cursed when speaking by God's Spirit. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. A word of wisdom is given by the Spirit to one person. A word of knowledge to another according to the same Spirit. Faith to still another by the same Spirit. Gifts of healing to another in the one Spirit. Performance of miracles to another, prophecy to another, the ability to tell spirits apart to another, different kinds of tongue to another, and the interpretations of tongue to still another. All of these things are produced by one and the same spirit who gives what he wants to each person. Christ is just like a human body. A body is a unit and has many different parts, and all the parts of the body are one body even though they are many. We are all baptized by the one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we we are all given the one spirit to drink. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, we finally arrived, so to speak. It's been 50 days since Easter Sunday, 50 days since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, at least 50 days since we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For the past seven weeks, we have been living in the time and in the space and in the season of Easter, and we finally reached this culminating day. We we might recall that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he, he gave a message to his disciples. Now, now, different gospels record this in different ways, but, but pretty much the message is the same for all of them. He tells the disciples through the women who see him in person to go and to wait for the promise. They're to wait for what God is going to do. They're there to wait for what we know now is the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, it's, it, different gospels narrate this in different ways. And in one, in one way, it's Jesus with the disciples on the mountain. In another way, it's, it's Jesus in Galilee and, and all sorts of different ways. But the, the message is the same. They're to go and they have to wait for the promise that God has for them. Wait, Jesus says in Luke, until you have been clothed with power from on high. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that it's good that I go away because if I go away, it means that I will send another, an advocate, the spirit of truth, who will be with you always. In Matthew, I won't tell too much because this is where we're going next week, Jesus is on the mountain and he says, surely I am with you, even to the end of the age. By the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus promises that that the presence of God will be with the disciples and and, and what they are to do and how they are to engage in ministry will happen, not by their own graces, not by their own talents, but by the empowering of the Holy Spirit when it comes upon them. We might recall, as the story goes, that on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, which was also a Jewish festival 50 days after Passover, Jesus' disciples were gathered in one place. We're told that it was about 120 who were gathered in an upper room. 
In the grand scheme of things, in, in, in the scheme of sort of worldwide following, 120 wasn't that many. But it was 120 who were faithful to pray and to devote themselves to Jesus' teaching and to wait, as Jesus had told them, until they had been clothed with the power from on high. I'm not sure they knew what the clothes from the power of on high would look like when they gathered there. They just knew that they were supposed to wait. Perhaps they thought in their minds, it's like love, you know it when you see it. And so they were there waiting. And when the day of Pentecost had come, it's narrated that the, the disciples were all in one place and, and, and all of a sudden this, this somewhat chaotic and crazy scene erupted. Right? It says that, that there was a great noise, like the sound of a rushing wind that filled the room in which they were all staying. Now, I don't know if you've heard the sound of a rushing wind, but, but when you're in, in a windy environment and it's just kind of rushing by you, it is loud, it is crazy, there's not much else you can hear, you're just kind of holding on. You can kind of imagine that they're all in this, this probably very small room and, and there's this sound going on and they're wondering what's going on and as they're wondering what's going on, they see above them this tongue of fire. And, and these tongues of fire, I don't know if it's like little candle tongues or like, you know, serious like lightsaber tongues. I don't know what it looked like, but, but, but it began to, to separate and, and, it, and it alighted on each one of them. And we're told that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability. Crazy scene. Imagine, if you will... And maybe this would be pretty cool if that happened in this room, in this place. We're all here. It's crazy, windy, tongues of fire. And we're all speaking in languages that are different, that we don't know. At least that we have no reason knowing. Like I could be speaking Swahili and you could be speaking, I don't know, Yupik, whatever it might be. Right? And, and, and it seems like it's a very chaotic and crazy scene. And what's, what's great, I love how, how Acts, how Luke narrates it in Acts because they're all in this room and it's this crazy, tightly packed scene of everybody just kind of doing their own thing and all of a sudden the, the scene shifts as if they were, this is, this is the image in my mind, sneezed outside, right? The great wind just kind of pfft, right outside. And all of a sudden they're out on the streets and, and there's people witnessing what's going on and they're hearing these different languages and, and yet they're not hearing it in different languages, they're hearing it in their own language, so we're told there's people from Parthia and from Medes and all across the world and they're there and they're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. Which has got to be pretty cool. And they're confused because they don't get how uneducated Galileans would know these languages. And then we know the scene that as it's going on, Peter gets up and kind of takes the de facto leadership and says, guess what everyone, I want you to know what's going on right here. He says, guess what's happening? This is what the prophet Joel said, right? In the latter times, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your women will see visions and your old men will see... I probably just got that wrong. But, but crazy things will happen. The manifestations of the spirit will be everywhere. People will be dreaming and seeing visions and God will pour out God's spirit on the least and the greatest. And Peter says, that's what's going on. And we know that what happened after that moment, he, he gives this sermon and the people say, what are we supposed to do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 were added to their number on that day. 
And thus begins this explosion of the church, right? If the spirit kind of blew the the disciples out of the upper room and into the streets, now the spirit of God is blowing them out of Jerusalem and into the world, right? So we know that very quickly the disciples, well, as it's narrated in Acts, they go from kind of Jerusalem and, and then they're in Judea. And then all of a sudden there's some Samaritan work going on. And then all of a sudden Acts, Paul's everywhere, right? Goes to the ends of the earth. As the spirit of God spreads the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And what began as this tiny Jewish movement from a rabbi Jesus becomes a a phenomenon throughout at least the Roman Empire at this particular point that is just permeating every corner of the empire. One man, Paul, goes to all these places and starts churches. And by the power of the spirit of God... The gospel grows and flourishes and begins to go into new context, right? So so we know that, right, the gospel started as Jesus, a Jew, preaching to Jews about the coming kingdom of God. And that has a very specific cultural and, and biblical and historical context that they understood. But all of a sudden, the gospel is going outside of this Jewish kind of movement. And, and it's becoming something different. It's going into, into the world and, and into Roman culture and into Greek culture, And things begin to get a little weird, maybe, is a good way of putting it. Because as the gospel moves into these other cultural things, all of a sudden the other stuff that's going on in the culture, in these Roman provinces, and these Roman towns, takes on different and new meaning. Why do I mention that? Because we're in 1 Corinthians, and Corinth was not a Jewish town. Corinth was a Roman colony. It was settled by Rome. It was was a place that, that... Rome said, we want the town here. We want to have a Roman town here. We're going to build altars to to Roma here, all sorts of things like that. So it's not largely, at least in Corinth, a Jewish movement, at least not at this point where we find ourselves in the Gospels. Or excuse me, in the letters. Paul is speaking not to a Jewish audience, but to a pagan Roman audience audience, largely speaking, in this little town where Greece kind of gets really small. And that creates some unique, interesting things with the interpretation, the understanding of what God is doing. So when Paul is preaching on Pentecost Sunday, he's preaching largely to a Jewish audience who understands the, the references and understands what the Spirit is supposed to do and knows what the Spirit's not supposed to do. But all of a sudden, the the gospel has gone to a world that is beginning to try to understand and translate what God is doing. What a God who who has revealed God's self to the Jews for a very, very long time. All of a sudden, it's going into a different context, and they're they're trying to make sense of it and trying to figure out what it means to worship this God. And and what does it mean when the Spirit is among us and with us? (coughs) And how does the Spirit work after all? When we read about things like spiritual gifts, we tend to think of them in the Christian context. But, but the idea of, of what was going on, these, these gifts of tongues or of healing or of all the other things, were not necessarily unknown in the Roman world outside the church. Right? Healings were believed to happen not simply by the God of the Jews or Yahweh or Christ working. They were also believed to, have, to happen by all sorts of other gods, lowercase g, this was the gospel going to the pagan world and the pagan world is trying to understand those, those pagans who are following Jesus now are trying to understand what does it look like? How is it different? How is it the same? 
And so what we have at Corinth in this particular time, in this particular place, is a church trying to work out what does it look like to have the Spirit among us? What does it look like when the Spirit is working with us? Does it look like it, it, it does in the, in the temple of, I'm going to get this way wrong, Asclepius, I believe that's how you pronounce it, who, who was the Greek Roman god of healing. There was a temple to, a, to this particular god in Corinth. And you could go in there and do rituals and, and be healed by temple priests. So, so do the Spirit's work look like this work? Fun fact, the, the medical symbol of the snake on a pole actually comes from this particular god, in case you didn't know. That was knowledge for free. That wasn't part of the sermon. But what we have is, is the, these people trying to work out and trying to understand, and then Paul teaching about what it looks like. How, how are the things of God different from the things of Apollo? How are the things of Jesus different? Right before what we read, Paul says, we know that in your former lives you were led away, astray, by pagan things, by so-called gods of the pagan world. Paul wants to make sure, he says, I know that you, that you have some experience with this sort of thing, and, and you've been led astray and led away by these things. And so he's basically saying, I want to help set the record straight. I want to tell you how Jesus acts, how the Spirit acts. He's saying you're seeing all of these things and, and you're working with them and you're trying to practice them, right? So all of a sudden, this, this spiritual phenomenon that was sort of the priests in their pagan culture, that was their purview. But all of a sudden, they're told that the spirit of God is in you and they're trying to work through what does this look like? How do I exercise this? How does the spirit manifest in me? How does the spirit manifest in our community? And so Paul says, I want to tell you how it works. I want to help you understand things that the Spirit will do and things that the Spirit won't. So he begins by saying, I can tell you this. I want you to know, I want you to be sure that no one by the Spirit of God will ever say, Jesus, be cursed. It seems obvious, right? And, and we don't exactly know what was going on at Corinth, that, that people, like, were people going around in Corinth saying, by the Spirit of God, I'm saying Jesus is cursed. Well, probably not. Paul's probably just being hyperbolic just trying to make effect. But certainly what Paul seems to be saying here is, is the spirit of God as it works out in your community will always look like Jesus. Will always bring glory to God. Will always bring glory to the crucified Christ. Right? So no, nobody, nobody by the spirit will say Jesus isn't God. Nobody by the spirit will say Jesus should be cursed. No one by the spirit will say you should follow something else. Everything that God does and as the spirit is at work in you will glorify Jesus who glorifies God. Now we might say this is verbal, right? Like that anyone wouldn't get up and preach, right? Jesus be cursed. That's not by the spirit. If you ever hear someone say that, that's not the spirit doing it. That's what Paul's saying. But I I firmly believe that Paul also wants us to see that as, this isn't just verbal, right? When we are acting by the Spirit, we will not do things, either in word or in deed, that bring, well, dishonor to the name of Jesus. Right? So, um, I don't know, if I walk out of the building and I see someone on the porch and I punch them in the face, that's not of the Spirit. Even if I say, in the spirit of, name of the Spirit of God, I punch you, right? That does not bring glory to God. 
that is not in line with the character and the nature of Yahweh God. I suppose in the same vein, by the Spirit of God, I will not go on Twitter tomorrow and speak disparagingly about someone or mock someone because those things are not in line with the character and the nature of God. I may go do that, but I'm not doing that by the Spirit of God. And that's what Paul wants us to know. Because he conversely says, and I also want you to know that no one says Jesus is Lord, which is the central confession of the Christian church. No one will say that unless enabled by the Spirit. That the Spirit enables us and works in us to bring glory to God the Father through Jesus Christ, the crucified risen Messiah. Again, not just word. It's not just about what we say in word, but what we do, our lives, everything we are. The Spirit works in us to bring glory to God, to uphold Jesus as Lord. And where that is done, Paul says, the Spirit of God is at work. It's a pretty simple litmus test for us. Right? At the very basic level, we can say, how is the Spirit at work? Well, here, it is not bringing glory to God. In fact, it is bringing dishonor to the name of God. Well, that's not the Spirit. No matter who's doing it, and no matter what they claim. Over here, it is bringing glory to God. And what Paul tells us, if we're to take the plain and simple meaning of the text, is that if Jesus is lifted up, proclaimed as Lord, again, whether it be in deed or in word, that is the Spirit of God at work. The most basic litmus test of us asking, how does the Spirit work? Well, the Spirit works by bringing glory, by upholding Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, this may seem simple to us, And perhaps we have the benefit of a couple thousand years of interpretive history and these texts. But things were a little less clear for the first century. They were a little less clear for the people wrestling with what it meant to look like. And Paul is simply saying, he said, look at your life together. Is it bringing glory to God? Is it upholding Jesus as Lord? Or is it upholding the things taught by the pagans that you're just bringing in and slapping Jesus' name on it? Slapping Jesus' name on something does not make it the Spirit. Upholding Jesus as Lord does. And so Paul wants to say, that's our simple litmus test. Which will enable him to say elsewhere, right? When you come together, it is not for the celebration of the Lord's Supper that you come together because you eat like the pagans eat. You have a social order when you do it. You eat out of turn. You don't wait for other people. You don't discern the body of Christ in the elements or in the group around you. But he says to them, you are not glorifying the name of Jesus as Lord who has come to make all things new. You are bringing dishonor on the name of Jesus. So the very, very simplest, Jesus says, or Paul says, that if it's of the Spirit, it will uphold Jesus as Lord. And if it doesn't, it is not of the Holy Spirit. But Paul will go on because, again, in the Roman culture, there is these different kind of manifestations of the spirit world at work. There's healings and interpretation of tongues and speaking in other tongues, right? There's prophecies given in other tongues and people who interpret them, right? And so Paul wants to put all of those things in the context of, right? The gifts of the spirit at work in the community will always lift up Jesus as Lord. 
Of course, what he says is there are many gifts. There are many gifts of the Spirit. There are many ways in which the Spirit chooses to manifest itself in and among the life of the believer and in and among the life of the church. There are many ways, varied ways. And Paul lists some of them. He talks about faith. He talks about tongues. He talks about healings. He talks about prophecy. He talks about all sorts of other things. And I want to say that Paul's list is not, at least as I read it, not meant to be exhaustive. Right? So I don't know. Some of you in here may have, like me, taken a spiritual gifts test. You have sort of this discrete list of giftings, and they all kind of fit nicely, and you put yourself in one of those. I don't, I don't know if you've ever done that. That might just be a me thing. But Paul's not meant to saying these are the only ways in which the Spirit can manifest in you. What Paul is doing is he is talking about ways in which the Spirit chooses to manifest in ways that bring glory to God. Paul does, however, say... He does say there are many different, but they are always for the sake of the community. Right? So, so what Paul is saying, again, perhaps conversely to what the pagan world may have thought, is that the spirit chooses to manifest itself in various different ways. And though it is the same spirit, it might look different in lots of different ways. But every time in which the spirit manifests, it is not for the gift of the person to hoard and to hold on to and to keep for themselves. It's not something to give you power or to make you look good. It's not something that's meant to, to be lorded over others. Again, these are things that were happening in the Corinthian church. And there's not one that's greater than all the others. At least not, <laughs> he'll talk about love being the greatest gift, but anyway. But that for the sake of, of, of our discussion here, Paul is saying there, there is nothing that's one, there's not one gift to rule them all. I'm just going to follow the Lord of the Rings thing here. Because in the Corinthian church, what they believed or seemed to believe by their practice, or at least what we read in 1 Corinthians, is that to speak in tongues was the greatest gift ever, right? If you didn't speak in tongues, you might have been gifted, but not really. That, that to truly be gifted by the Spirit was to speak in tongues. And that was sort of the be-all and end-all of understanding. And, and the people who spoke in tongues were the Christians, the real, you know, like, mm, yeah. And everyone else may have been under them. And if you didn't experience that, you weren't real or weren't, hadn't arrived, however you want to put it. But what Paul is saying is that's not how it works, right? There's a variety of gifts, and they're always for the sake of the community, right? For the building up of the community, for the building up of the common good, right? So, so, so in thinking about the gifts, they're, 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 they're taught to think in ways that, they, that this gift isn't for me to sort of amass my own personal wealth or whatever it might be, or prestige, but that I have been given this, that the Spirit has manifested in this way so that the community itself might be built up. Right? So that if there's a tongue, the idea would be that there's someone to interpret, to encourage, to build up, to strengthen the community. That if there's a gift of knowledge, what, that can mean a lot of different things, but it's for the purpose of building up of the community. Right? Knowledge is not to be hoarded or used to blackmail. Right? All sorts of other things that people might have done. The spirit manifests itself in this way for the good of the community which is in order and exists to proclaim in word and deed that Jesus is Lord. He also wants to say that the gifts 
of the Spirit are interconnected. Or at least the individuals who receive the gifts are interconnected. So, so if the gifts are given for the common good, Paul says this is not a bad thing, right? Variety is not a bad thing. The diversity sort of of this gifting and the people who manifest them is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, right? So if at Corinth, everyone wants this same gift, everyone wants the gift of tongues, right? Paul will essentially say and argues in this way that if the whole body were a tongue, it would be grotesque. Right? So imagine, if you will, Paul, Paul uses this analogy, right? He says, Christ is just like a body, the body of Christ, and we are all a part of it. And we are all a part of it, and we have all have different functions and different ways of being a part of the body. Again, Paul will later say, right, you know, one's a hand, one is an eye. If the whole body were an eye, it would look weird. It, and, and you would be all seeing and no hearing. If the whole body were an eye, you'd be all seeing, no speaking, And how would you move, right? So Paul says we're all part. And this diversity is not a bad thing. It is a good thing because together we exist (coughs) as the body of Christ to lift up the name of Christ among the nations. So to one person is given a gift of knowledge, to another a gift of, of service, to another this, to another that. And that diversity is beautiful because that diversity is the body of Christ at work. But if that diversity is beautiful, it means we cannot look at another person and say, oh, that gift is better than mine. Everything Paul argues in this says that we are to look at one another and say, my gift, however the spirit has chosen or is choosing to manifest in me in this way, in this time, is not only just as good, but is just as vital to the functioning of the body as anyone else's. Let me put it this way. The fact that I might be gifted to stand up here and to preach on a Sunday morning. I have quite literally a platform. But because I have a platform does not make this function, what I am doing here or what anyone else is doing up here for that matter, more important, more vital, or more anything than what every other person in this room and quite frankly in the church at large brings to the table. So I may have a speaking role, but others may have a listening role. And the mouth is just as important, but no more important than the ear. And so what Paul wants to get very plainly to the Corinthians is that we do not rank gifts. We cannot look at one another and presume that we are better or claim that we are worse or vice versa. Some people have gifts and talents and some of those by the spirit that we look at and go, man, I kind of wish I could do that. And that may be true, but their gifting, what they bring is no more important than what I do. We can put this in the larger church context. We are a smallish church in Longview, Washington, right? Are we influential? I don't know. but we are no less important and no more important than any other member of the body of Christ in this community or in this world. We are a part of the body of Christ and we have been gifted individually, corporately, in lots of other ways to bring glory to God. And as long as we are doing that, we are functioning as Jesus has called us to do.
And as long as we are doing that, we can be confident that the Spirit is at work among us because we are proclaiming Jesus is Lord. There's no one that's better than another. There's no one that's worse than another. But the Spirit works in all of them, which means that, that any time the Spirit is at work, we ought to celebrate. Right? Any, any time we see the Spirit at work, whether it is in a crusade of a million people or whether it is one-on-one in a room of just people crying and sharing together, that is the Spirit at work, and we ought to celebrate that. I mean, think about this in this way. God is at work, and anywhere God is at work is miraculous, no matter how important we tend to rank those things which means that it's miraculous in me and it's miraculous in you. Because God has gifted me and God has gifted you. That we might come together, that we might proclaim for the good of the body and for the glorification of Christ, that Jesus is Lord. In fact, the diversity that God chooses to divvy out the gifts God does is a strength rather than a weakness. It's not a fault in God's design. It is a strength. As we come together and proclaim Jesus is Lord. Because we share one baptism. And we share one spirit. If the same spirit activates all these things in lots of different people in lots of different ways then A, we didn't choose how it works. We don't get to rank it, but it's the spirit at work in all of this, in all of these diverse ways. I I was just amazed. I looked up baptism in an image search and all just the different ways in which baptism is practiced in the world. Right? God works in these diverse ways, but all of that is for the purpose the name of Jesus might be lifted up, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so we sometimes read about Pentecost and say, that, that's great and that's wonderful, but it was back then, what's happening now? I, I would venture to say, and, and I am convinced that the Spirit of God is no less present in this community than it was the first Pentecost. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to be there with you. Paul, Paul or Jesus says, the Spirit, or Peter says, the Spirit's, Peter and Paul, I keep getting a mix. So the Spirit is, is on all flesh, Right? The Spirit has been poured out, has been given. God has, has sort of diversified. And so I think we can be very confident that the Spirit is at work here, that God is manifesting God's presence by the Spirit of God for the good of the community and for the glorification of his name in this place, in this time, even this morning. Unlike the disciples, we don't have to wait for the Spirit. We've been told it has been poured out. We have been told the presence of God is with us. And so we can believe that standing up here now, sitting where you are, watching online, the Spirit, if you are in Christ, has been given. And that you have been given gifts, a gift or perhaps many gifts, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord for the good of the community and the good of the body of Christ and the good of the world for whom Christ died. You can be sure, sitting where you are now, that God is at work in you 
and that the Spirit has gifted you. Again, we don't, we don't have to pick from this list that Paul gives. He gives other lists elsewhere of ways in which the Spirit manifests. But I guarantee the Spirit is at work in you and that you have been gifted in a unique and powerful way to bring glory to God. For any time the Spirit is at work, it is miraculous and powerful. I don't know what all of your gifts are. I can guess on some of them. But I know you have been gifted, which means that sitting where you are or standing where you are or watching from where you are, your import to the body of Christ is no less than any other person in this place on this day. Young or old, doesn't matter. Right? Smart or not so smart, doesn't matter. Well or sick, doesn't matter. Whether you think you're influential or not, it doesn't matter. For it's the spirit at work. This is why we hear, not by might nor by power, but what? By the spirit of God. For this, the church doesn't grow by our own ingenuity. Right? We, we, we didn't see that movement from, from Jerusalem into Judea to Samaria into the ends of the earth because the disciples were so smart and talented. Now, they were smart and they were talented, but that's not why the church grew. It's not why the name of Christ is known in the nations. It is because the Spirit empowered them and they went and they spoke for the good of the community, for the good of the world. They lifted up the name of Jesus Christ. And imagine that Jesus was true to what he had said. If I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Now, sometimes the Spirit chooses to come in powerful and just like ways that are obvious that anyone who was there is going, something happened there. I don't know what, it was crazy, but the Spirit was present. The Spirit doesn't always work that way. Jesus, or Paul, man, I'm having trouble. Paul says, no one says Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit enables them. And if the Spirit enables them, it is a miracle. For no one comes to Christ unless drawn by the Spirit. It's not us. It's God at work in us. And God chooses how to manifest. God chooses the, the extent and the breadth and the, and the spectacular, visible nature of what God is doing. Not us. So what we are called to do is to be faithful and to exercise such gifts as God has given us for the good of the community and I do mean the good of the community, not just the church, but the community in which we live. And to lift up, above all else, Jesus as Lord. For the name that saves is not Longview Church of the Nazarene. The name that saves is not Nazarene or Baptist or any other name for that matter. We're told in Acts that there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved except for the name of Jesus who is Lord. And our job, our job is not the fruit. Our job is faithfully listening and boldly proclaiming in word and in deed that Jesus is Lord and that the kingdom of God is in our midst because God has worked in Jesus Christ. So this morning there's a couple things. I just 
want to make sure I hit again. Your gift is necessary to the church. Your gift is necessary for the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not contained simply in Longview Church of the Nazarene, just in case you had any doubts. The body of Christ is where the church gathers. And you are necessary to that. Now, the way that God will manifest in you and through you in faithfulness, I don't know. But you are necessary and valuable to the kingdom of God. You are a part of the body and necessary to it. I know that God has gifted you and us that we might proclaim Jesus, his Lord. And I believe that when we do that, we can be assured that the spirit is at work in us. For no one says by the spirit or without the spirit that Jesus is Lord. It's the spirit working whenever that is proclaimed. Unless I know that this does not come from us. It's Jesus. It's God. It's the spirit at work in us. Which means that we have to submit ourselves to the work of the spirit in us. And so as we get closer to closing, we're not going to close yet. I want to take just a couple minutes. I'm not going to have the worst team come back up. And I just want us to pray together. To pray that A, we would recognize how God wants to use us. And that B, we would be faithful to do it. Because the proper functioning of the body of Christ involves all of us. If it's just me up here doing this, me and the worship team, right? It's, it's just the us show. And we don't want it to be the us show. We want it to be Jesus. We want it to be the Jesus show. And that means it takes all of us to proclaim in word and in deed the kingdom of God is in our midst, that all things have been made new by the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we follow him and that love becomes the new command by which we operate so that we might lift up the name of Christ in the nations. So like I said, just a couple of minutes, you're welcome to come to the altars and pray if you'd like, but you can do it where you are too to pray that the Spirit would fill us anew, that we might be faithful as individuals and as the body to proclaim one thing only, and that is that Jesus is Lord, and that in him God is making all things new. So let us pray together.
Lord, we believe that we desperately need your spirit to be at work in us. Lord, we believe that we cannot hope to be what we are called to be as the church without your spirit at work in us. Lord, that, that all our good efforts and all our good ideas are just that unless your spirit would fill us. So God, as we have already sung this morning, we pray that you would send your spirit to fall anew on us. Lord, that you might wake us up from our slumber, that you might open our eyes to the ways in which we might in deed and in word lift up your name to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Lord, that you might transform us into people who bear the fruit of your love, who bear the fruit of your mercy and your kindness and your grace and your gentleness and your compassion. Lord, that we might be a people who bear the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, selflessness, self-control. Lord, that we might Use the gifts that we have been given for your name and for your glory. Lord, for we are here because you have called us. And Lord, we want to speak the words that you give us. Lord, that as we go, we might proclaim Jesus is Lord. Lord, fill us anew that we might be the church you have called us to be and the people you have called us to be so that your kingdom would come, so that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your holy and matchless name by the power of your spirit that is at work in us. Amen. Amen. Later on in, actually, earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks to the church at Corinth about what it really means to be the church. And he gives them instructions on actually how to take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, He tells them first, right, when you come together, it is not for the purpose of the Lord's Supper that you do this because you guys all do it crazy. It's what he tells them. He essentially says you don't discern the body when you take the communion elements, when you take this, this meal together, you don't discern the body. One of you eats before, one of you has good food, one of you has bad food, right? All this sort of stuff. There are two things at work in there. When, when I was a young and, and a, a pastor would read this particular text, it would scare me because Paul says, unless you discern the body, you, you, take, you take this unworthily and you drink and eat condemnation on yourself. I don't know if any of you had that experience like I did, but I was deathly afraid to take communion when I was young because I was so afraid God was waiting to smite me if I had the wrong motive. Let me be clear. We should come to this with right motives. But this is a gift of God for the people of God, and we should not come in fear and in trembling. We should come in joy and in celebration. Because when we come, we come and we declare that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. And that is a declaration of joy 
And if you, any of you know exactly what goes on in all of this when we take it, what exactly God is doing, you can have my job because I still don't understand everything God is doing. What I do believe is this, that when we take, we should know that we are partaking of what Paul says, the body and blood of Christ. That what we are doing is we are proclaiming that in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is our life. We take and we eat because in Christ is life. I believe that Paul does tell us to discern the body, which means discern the body of Christ, that this is what Christ has done, but also look around and know we are the body. Paul uses that language to describe the church. To be reminded that we are not in this alone. And that we don't do this in in isolation of all the people who are in this room. Not to mention all the people who are doing the same thing down the street. I mean, it's like six churches just right here. And many of them this morning are doing this because we are all part of the body of Christ. And we are to discern that. We're not in this alone. And he has gifted us that we might bear much fruit. So as we take this morning, first of all, let us take in joy and in celebration of what God has done in us. That God has sent Christ And Christ suffers and dies that we might have life. And that in confessing this idea of Jesus is Lord, we find salvation, which is renewal of life in this life, hope here, but also in the life to come. That because of what Christ has done, our lives are hidden with God. And we have assurance of life eternal. And that life starts now. I want us to take us in joy and in celebration. And this morning, I'm going to have you all come up and get the elements from Skyson and I. But when you do, I would ask that you go back to your seats and hold on to them. So that when we are all served, we might partake together. Because together, we are the body of Christ who share one faith, one baptism. And who share one spirit who works in us all for the glory of God's kingdom. Paul writes to the church of the Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. These are the gifts of the God that proclaim the confession that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. Let us pray. Lord God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us, your people, and on these gifts, the bread and of the cup. Lord, may they be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Lord, in all things, we give you thanks. And we thank you especially for this gift of life in your name. In your name we pray. Amen.